0: The Green Machine podcast, your Irish football news, blunt and honest Irish football discussion, and nostalgic throwbacks in the good times and in the bad times. Ercon Park is perhaps one of the more obscure stories in Irish football, so the proposed 45,000 seater stadium was brought to the planning stage in 1999 by the then FAI CEO Bernard O'Byrne before being knocked on its head to support the infamous Birdie ball. That went well. To discuss this, we're delighted to be joined by Bernard himself. He's taken some time out of his busy schedule with Basketball Ireland to chat with us today. Bernard, thanks so much for joining us today. Delighted to have you in the show. Really, really appreciate it. So you might start off just by giving the listeners a little bit of background into your role with the FAI prior to your involvement with Erichon Park.
1: Uh, well, I first got involved by forming a, a football club out in Tallaght called uh, Belgard Athletic. And uh, ran that for, whatever, 15, 20 years, I suppose. And from there, went into junior football with the Athletic Union League. And from there, the Leinster Football Association, the FAI junior. I uh, was president in a couple of those organizations. Eventually, uh, going into the FAI itself as a council member and then as a treasurer, then as a security officer. And uh, eventually, I suppose, got to the a pole pole and became uh, chief executive. So, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, a uh, good few years involved in football before I got to the top job.
0: Yeah, you certainly earned your stripes. And, of course, one of your first acts as CEO was to propose Ericon Park, which we'll be chatting about today. And, unfortunately, that never came to fruition. Something that David, still isn't over, nearly 20 years on.
2: Yeah, um, absolutely. I, uh, was, I remember when the whole thing, like, obviously came out with Stadium Ireland. I know we'll get into it. I was just like... I think like a lot of people thinking, why? <laughs> why, why? Why is this coming out? It made no sense, you know, Um, or Aircon Park made perfect sense. Um, But yeah, it just made no sense really. And then of course, that was a totally different Ireland back then. And uh, yeah, it was just very, very, it was very tough to take.
0: Just for some of the younger listeners, Bernard, and even just to jog the memories of some of the older listeners, you might just give us the general crux of your vision for Aircon Park that you had back in the mid 90s.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose it started in 1996 when I came in and saw the financial situation of the F, which was uh, perilous, to say the least, and uh, uh, really couldn't be allowed to persist. So the way that I decided to try and improve it was to obviously try and improve uh, commercial income. But I quickly saw that um, the international income that we had and our dependence on it was just unsustainable and had been for many, many years. So uh, what I wanted to do was where we simply had a tenant. We um, we had a tenant arrangement there. We we paid the rental. And I wanted to get a state income coming into the association. So the idea was to build that could be a show venue as well as obviously an international venue, and that would allow us to to build up the association. Um, So that was the idea. We went to Europe, had a look at a couple of models, and eventually we launched um, January We did the stadium uh, proposal, which within a few months, Aircom came in and did one of the biggest sponsorship deals at the time and put their name on the stadium. So at that stage, we we were running.
2: Just wondered, Bernard, was... um... I read somewhere that one of, one of the major concerns when you were security officer for the England game in 95, that was abandoned. Did that sort of bring home to you that Ireland desperately needed a brand new stadium? Because Lansdowne Road, as much as we love it, um, I mean, so much so I named a page after it. But it's, it, was just, it was very decrepit at that stage, wasn't it? it was very run down. And I, I think was that was really hammered home that we really desperately need a home of our own.
1: Um, I'd have to be honest and saying it wasn't the biggest driver, but I would agree with you. I mean, it was a stadium that was falling down. It wasn't fit for purpose. You, you couldn't really, you know, look to have um, any entertainment in it, even if you owned it or whatever. So it really was completely out of date. Actually, the, the idea that was sown in my head would more have come from uh, the Wimbledon Don's effort and that proposal. And how they proposed to make money out of bringing Wimbledon to Dublin. So let's say it was a combination of the two of them. But on the financial side of things, uh, I saw more in the Wimbledon proposal than uh, the English riot. Let's put it that way.
2: I remember that actually. I I, I um
1: <laughs> I was
2: so angry that they didn't go ahead. I'm actually from Neilstown originally, so we would have right.
1: It would have been on your doorstep. <laughs>
2: it would've been on a doorstep. It could have knocked off a few uh t shirts or whatever. Um yeah. yeah I remember that actually at the time there was a there was a big uh hulla blue I think Paul McGuinness was behind it, Eamon Dunphy was behind it. Um Sam Haman, the, the owner of Wimbledon. Um that's right. That's right. But I don't think uh, realistically I don't think that was ever going to go ahead. I think Sam Haman was using it as a uh, a bargaining chip. But yeah it, I remember that kind of quickly went away and then Obviously, we heard about the Arcon Park, which um you know, mm. yeah, we I mean, Dalyman Park for years was obviously a stadium, is I guess the real home of Irish football. but you know, I think where it is is quite precarious as well. It, it's 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 completely tied into a housing estate. so obviously to to go to City West and basically instead of converting an old ground, just start from scratch. And that way you could have shops, you could have a hub, you could have hotels, you could have transport. And all that kind of thing. I also remember um, in ninety seven, the U two concert in Crow Park, uh, not Crow Park in Lansdowne Road, caused a massive uh, thing. It was, it was, um, it was postponed. It was cancelled, and then it started again. So, Lansdowne really wasn't a, an ideal place to even have a concert.
1: No, no, it wasn't. And I mean, all you had to do. Um, you know, was to go over to Europe and have a look at some of the venues, and you you immediately became convinced this is where we should be looking. We should have a venue like this. Dublin being such a you know a popular destination for around, if you had a suitable venue, um, you really you really would be, running, you know. It yeah. was
0: kind of based off the Vitesse Arnhem stadium, wasn't it? I mean, and, and even looking back, I mean, I was I was only about six or seven when all of this was occurring but i mean look looking at the footage and kind of the plans of, of what was in place for aircon park it looks more futuristic than some current stadiums which which really struck with me anyway
1: a great idea was like great ideas it was simplicity itself you know the pitch rolled out uh under the stand to give you a concrete base so you could have a car show, you could have a concert, you could have an ice show. Um, it, it was absolutely fantastic. I think 45,000 capacity, and of course, could either close or open. So, um, really, it, it was a great, great proposal, which is why we got some huge backers. And, uh, you know, it, it would have been marvelous. Yeah,
0: because there was a lot, of, a lot of investors involved in that, and, and there was a lot of funds raised you know, through those investors and through, through the sale of, um, of corporate boxes as well, wasn't there?
1: We had the biggest, uh, the biggest PR company in the world, IMG, uh, were behind it. Deutsche Bank were behind it. Obviously, Aircom were behind it. Um, the only people that weren't behind it were a few politicians uh, who, yeah. who pulled the plug on it, uh, both internal and external to the FAI.
2: Just wonder, Bernard, when you came up with this idea and you proposed it to to your colleagues in the FEI. I mean, what was it, What was the overall? Brendan Menton is quoted as saying he he felt it was optimistic, um, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. But how did the FEI at that stage meet your proposal? Were, were they warm to it? Were they a bit lukewarm, or or how, how how was what was the general
1: feeling? They were fantastically supportive. Absolutely, the board. Um, I brought it to them one morning, made a, made a forty minute presentation, and uh, they were just shaking their heads. And said, this is this is great. This is what we need. Board came out to my house uh, to give them. You know, I want to give them more details and whatever. It was great. Everybody, uh, at the board was absolutely supportive. Now that was, you know, the, the next step was then to put all the partners together, put all the figures together. Um, I don't think it was bad that somebody like Brendan Menton was saying, I want to ask questions and I want to see figures, that's OK. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, I would get more nervous if you got the impression that people were just nodding their head and paying attention. Now, I think Brendan went off the tracks severely later on. But there was no problem with me with asking questions or whatever, because I didn't want an elephant. I didn't want to go ahead on his face. I wanted it to be a success. So the more questions that were asked, the better. And, Bernard, when was it that maybe some of the
0: influences outside of the FAI started throwing a bit of a spanner in the works with Aircom Park?
1: Well, I think what, what happened was uh, that politicians began to get involved. So we had uh, the call of spade a spade. We had the Bertie Bowl suddenly, which hadn't been around at all before Aircom Park. Yeah. The Bertie Bowl suddenly, suddenly appeared on the landscape. And then uh, the politicians, you know, Bertie, I think, has admitted this. You know, he began to talk to people in the FEI about supporting the Bertie Bowl and uh, not supporting Erkin Park. So all of a sudden, there was a reason for people in the FEI to bring down Erkin Park, um, which which was really regrettable, I think, because actually one of the first things that I had done when I had the proposal for Erkin Park was to go to Bertie Ahern and sit in his office with the president of the FEI, And we outlined the whole proposal to him. And he said, well, it's about time the FEI got off its bum, so to speak, and did something. This is a great proposal. But within six months, he basically was trying to stop Erkin Park and ultimately succeeded.
2: I mean, that's, that's always a thing that makes me angry when I, I think back about it, because you look at Aircon Park, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's it's a blank canvas. You can start from scratch. You can build a Lewis out to it, the Dart out to it. And it's 45,000. It's about the right number for an Irish stadium. I think Dvib is 50,000. So they're thereabouts. And then he wants to build this 80,000-seater stadium for... We don't have a, a league. You know, we didn't at the time. We kind of really don't really the, the league of ireland and you know you're going to have a handful of internationals and to have this 80,000 seater sta- stadium it, it just seemed quite bizarre really just it, it seemed it seemed to be perfect um mirror of the uh uh the celtic tiger like just this over exuberance and sort of just too much you know where aercom park just fe- seemed this will do it you know and this will drive obviously grassroots and and things like that um when The Bertie Bowl came in. I mean, what was the initial reaction from uh, your colleagues then? What do you think their head was turned? Because I know there's been reports that apparently he made a few overtures. um, That he was offering financial support to League of Ireland clubs and all this kind of stuff if they went with the Bertie Bowl. When it was announced, did you feel like a a real mood of change or was everything still okay at this point?
1: No, you could feel the mood. It wasn't immediate, maybe, but a few weeks after that. And I mean, again, you know, I got our financial team to look at his proposal to see the details, you know, did it add up? And uh, I mean, everybody just shook their head. This is easy, this is easy. easily going to be seven, seven hundred, 800 million. And in fact, actually fell. the cost was over a thousand million, a billion, a billion pounds. So, you know, the plans for the Bertie Bowl were done on the back of a cigarette box. even though they were very well presented. They accused us of doing our figures. It was crazy, crazy stuff. It was the big tiger on ecstasy. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's very true. Um, One of the things they were saying about the, the well, well, I think when Archon Park was initially um, uh, presented in public, I think it was going to be 65 million at, at first. And then obviously costs yeah. soared. I know Dublin Council, um, they dragged their heels as they tend to do on everything. Uh, they dragged their heels a bit, and planning permission was pushed back. Do you think how much of a of an impact on the finances of the stadium do you think that um, that basically yeah that caused really? I mean, because I know that the the finance of the stadium went up a fair bit. Do you think that was down to Dublin City Council dragging their heels?
1: Well, it wasn't city council. It would have been Dublin uh, City Council. South- no look at it in fairness I don't think they dragged their heads I think they were they you know they needed to be cautious this was a huge huge project being uh, basically dumped in their lap or not dumped in their lap but being proposed kind of overnight and you know it, it cost creased from 65 up to I think maybe 110 or something but the cost was still all manageable you know we were never in trouble with it. and uh, Planning permission was granted by South Dublin, but there was 33, I think, conditions. And at the time, it felt we were going through the 33 conditions. So that wasn't what, what sunk it. The council didn't sink it. The finance did, didn't sink it. It was the political uh, machinations at the time is what sank it.
0: Yeah, the birdie ball always struck me as a little bit of a vanity project for birdie. It was a little bit pathetic. So, Berner, coming off a decade where we have Italia 90, we have USA 94, we just had the playoff loss against Belgium in 98, and we were just about to experience the narrow playoff loss against Turkey for Euro 2000. It was a really great time for Irish football and probably perfect timing for a new stadium. So is there a bit of regret for you knowing that if the stadium was completed on its proposed schedule, that the first game would have been in between the World Cup playoff against Iran and actually going to the World Cup finals in 2002 it would have been the perfect send off for the Irish team in, in what was a really, really great time for Irish football.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was the dream. I mean, we were football people, we were practical finance people as well, but we were football people, you know, with dreams that that would be what would happen. Um, it was a, an economic window opened there at that time, it was the time to do it. Even a year later or two years later, you know, when things began to cool economically, wouldn't have been the time. But when we went at it, that window was open and it was an awful shame that we didn't, we didn't grab it. I mean, we, we had details planned. Um, for instance, we knew who we were going to play first game. Uh, we were going to play Germany. And the reason that we were going to play Germany was because we were the first nation to play Germany after the war, yeah. which is why, why they wear green,
0: isn't
1: it? It's why they wear green is correct. We had made approaches to the cars to be the first, um, the first concert there, you know, when we opened. You know, we were dreaming of all of this. Yeah. And for it to ultimately be brought down by e- egotistical politicians and also by some football people, or people at least who profess to be football people, <laughs> that was really really a shame um but look you know it's 20 years ago now i can assure you i don't lose any sleep over it but I, i just felt so disappointed uh and a lot of people you know i had the number of people who contacted me and even i have to say People who even stop me in the street now 20 years later to say, I wish that had happened. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know what to say to them. You know, the train has left the station, lads, leave it, you know. <laughs> Dave, know. David. David's certainly one of them.
2: I would be. I really would be. I mean, I've, I've, I wanted to talk to you about this for, for ages, like, honestly. I mean, am I right to believe, though, Bernard, that one of the reasons why um, a certain infamous John Delaney um, shot down the stadium was because he didn't feel that um, on the because I know it was on a ten-year ticketing scheme or something to that effect that he didn't feel that you could build a stadium on a ten-year ticketing plan. Am, am I right to to say that, or have I got that wrong?
1: You are, yeah. Well, he, as we know, is the pillar of financial virtue, as 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 we all know, and uh, that's um, you know he was rolling out these things. He uh, he said the only reason I wanted to build a stadium was to get a bonus um, because I had been open enough to say that, you know, I am on a bonus. If a stadium is built, I am on a bonus. What's unusual about yeah. that in a major project for a chief executive? But um, the only reason I wanted to do it was to get a bonus. I mean, you know, it would um, it would drive you to drink. Look, that's it. Rant it over, as they say.
2: <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I remember, like, I live over in London, and I've, I've lived here for the last 10 years, and I remember just explaining to people about this stadium and how, how it should have got built and the whole thing, and then actually saying that, you know, now so many years later we built another stadium um, where we actually hand over the keys uh, after I think 20 or 30 years to the IRFU, which makes no financial economic sense whatsoever. I mean, it'd be like buying a house um, with a mortgage. And then when you pay the mortgage off, you hand the keys back to the bank and also on the strength of a 10 year ticketing scheme, which I think is just, Irony—it's almost Shakespearean in a way, you know, like just the 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 absolute um, how how would you say it? the contradiction, shall we say, of a, of a certain John Delaney? But uh, yeah, it, it, well, it, 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 I, I, sorry,
1: Bernard. It, 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 sorry, it, it'd be amusing if it was put it that way, you know. Um, it was absolutely tragic. I mean, every other stadium in the world. Even I'm a Liverpool supporter, you know, when when Liverpool uh, extended. Stand over there, you know, funded it by, you know, by five and ten-year tickets. You know,
2: yeah.
1: Did this good science, or it wasn't something that uh, hadn't worked so many times over in America, Europe. Um, but the way it was twisted back against us um, was disgraceful, in my, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, it, it was a such. It was such a shame. It was absolutely um, a ridiculous scenario. Um, I mean, obviously. Around this time, did you feel that when this fell, obviously this was going to, did you feel that your career, the FEI as, as CEO, was going to be basically based on this? If you build it, that's it. You're, you know, you're a made man, so to speak. And if it doesn't go ahead, your your days are normally in the association. Did you ever get that? Because I know it's not too long before you go um, when this sort of gets. Yeah.
1: I I think um, I didn't kind of think of it in those terms. I mean, I just wanted to do go, do well, for the association on on a lot of fronts. I mean, we we did huge other stuff in terms, thing, things that maybe don't interest the public. But you know, we completely reformed all the committee structure within the FAI. We removed a lot of people who had been there for yonks. Um, I I appointed Brian Kerr as the. Um, as the new national uh, underage coach and he went on to have great success so we were doing very very good stuff Erkin Park was just one thing yeah but when it when it was over obviously it was a huge personal blow to me but I could have kept going on but uh, there was the rump there who were not satisfied with just Erkin Park stopping uh, they wanted me out you know and people like Charlie McCreevy, who who's a minister at the time you know came out and said you know this witch hunt for is disgraceful you know they should leave leave the man alone unless people that were just implacable and you do get to a stage um where you know you're, you're tired you know and uh, your family is under pressure as well because there's nonsense in the paper every second day and whatever so look when it came for time to go i i, I won't say i was happy to go but I, you know, it was time to go. My head was it was done at that stage, and uh, I wanted to to move on and see what else I could do. You know,
2: yeah, no, absolutely. I I don't blame you. I mean, it it was just it was just uh, reading back on it now. I mean, I remember when it happened, but reading back in champagne football, it was just. I'm sure that brings a lot of it to a younger audience. You know, they think Jesus, like it was just, it, it was a dreadful time. Um,
1: but you know, right. uh, sorry. No, no, sorry, I was just going to remark, I think there's a second book for the boys because not half of the story was in that book, I can tell you, uh, from what I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It
0: in the Aircon Park promo video, Bernard, IMG describe you as a great visionary. And you clearly proved this, even in what you just described there, with the Aircon Park proposal itself, appointing Brian Kerr, which did herald trophies and did herald the development of some of our best ever players. And then some of the committee reform that you mentioned. So let's say hypothetically you stayed on as CEO until the present day. What other visions would you try to implement, and what might you have done a little bit differently to the regime that preceded you?
1: Well, I would have been honest, number one. <laughs> uh, I would have had, in- uh, I would have, been, I would have had integrity. Um, if if it had worked, you know, mo- money makes things happen. So if Erkin Park had, had worked. And there had been funds there. I don't think there would have been any shortage of ideas, not just from me, but from around football as to how we could. We, we all know, you know, you could support the League of Ireland. You could support school schoolboy clubs. You do a lot of great things uh, if the money was flowing in and you were able to predict what way. So there's no there's no ending to what what could have been done. Um, and it, it's a. Uh, you know it's it's hard to really comment what you would have done i I remember the statement about uh me being a visionary, and I remember saying to somebody, the one thing about being a visionary is uh y- you still can't look at your back
2: yeah, no um I was just wondering I'll, I'll just just going back a little bit now, obviously that the whole um the whole stadium thing uh you know it still brings up bad memories, but. <laughs> I know, Bernard. You, you were the you were the security officer for the um for the game in, in Belfast '93. there anything, any stories you could t- share with us uh, about that? I was a kid. I don't think Nick was born or were, were you born? <laughs> I,
0: I was one, I think,
2: yeah. <laughs> he, he was one. I remember watching that game uh, with my brother and my brother's mate, and I remember just being shell shocked when uh, Anna McLaughlin sorry not Anna McLaughlin Jimmy Quinn scored a screamer. I'm um, really really worried, and then of course Sam McLaughlin um did the business for us, and we went there i mean you were there you you were you were a security officer that night that must have been i wasn't
1: I, yeah, I wasn't actually security night, no, believe it or not, Joe Delaney was the security officer there uh, that night um in Belfast, but I was around at that time, and uh you know the abiding image that I would have is and I'm sure you remember it is the uh, is Billy bingham. Going up and down the line, uh, yeah. inciting a, a crowd—a a crowd that was already uh, rabid. Let's say, you know, um, but that was a night, you know, unforgettable. Alan and Uh yeah, it was great. And you know, sure, we then went to the States and we had a we had a great time. And you know, golden golden moments uh, on the back of horrific moments up in Belfast. I have to say, and um, obviously, I think what was the England game?
2: Was that your first security game? Was it? Was that was that you first it game you was?
1: Started? Yeah, it, it was 1995. Uh, yeah. Joe retired, Joe Delaney retired at Christmas, and uh, the first game was in February 1995. Um, so it was a baptism of fire, certainly, you know.
2: Yeah, I remember watching that I, yet again. I think what Nick, you're about two, were you when that was on? <laughs> and I, mean, I remember watching that, and that was just. An absolute cluster, I think, wasn't it? There was literally just there was tickets by the FA sold to people that shouldn't have been sold, and and there was there was a whole it was a whole load of it was just a ma- it was just a mess really, wasn't it? The whole thing.
1: Yeah. Well, there was a judicial inquiry afterwards. Uh, you may not recall, and I remember the head the headline in the Herald that night was uh, a red card to the English FA, a yellow card to the FAI. Um, because I'm sorry, a yellow card to the guardie as well, because the guardie were in in the special unit were in a hotel having tea and coffee, yeah, and I when they you. got the call, wow, they they came they came, they came to a locked gate and they couldn't gain access in for a vital kind of 10 or 15 minutes. So when all of this came out at the judicial inquiry, you know, um, we certainly made mistakes as the FEI, but as you said, the English. Sold tickets to uh, undesirables to the, what are they called? Uh,
0: Combat 18.
1: Or something. Combat, 8, Combat 18, yeah. That was a horrific night. And I mean, of all the mics in you know, I had many prayers afterwards, you know, that nobody had at night. We were very, very lucky.
2: Yeah, I remember just watching that. I was, I remember thinking, great, like because England, you couldn't watch England for a number of years because I think Sky had the rights. I remember thinking this is brilliant, now, you know, get, finally get to watch England and play Ireland, and and it just ruined it. Um, all around that time, obviously when Jack left and ninety six, I don't know, did you did you have a vote when when Mick was was made manager? Because I, I, we were we were doing a bit of research for the ninety six ninety seven era, and I know there was a bit of a it was just before the, the Long knife situation. And I know Louis Le came out and said that he didn't want Mick as the manager and he wasn't his first choice and all that.
1: Yeah, no, sorry. I was on council, but I didn't have a vote. Uh, it, it was given to a small committee to look after. Louis at the time was the president. So, yeah, for every appointment, including Jack Charlton, you might remember. I mean, Jack Charlton uh, was finished, I think, third in the first vote on on the night that he, that he won. And uh, he eventually... Uh, as I say he won the vote but on the first county, I think he was third so uh, behind Bob Paisley and votes in the FEI were always good crack you you'd never have an idea well, what way they're going to go but generally you know, uh, gen- generally I think Mick had good support coming in, yeah. I think everybody realised, I won't say it was a poison chalice but it, it was a difficult one coming a- in after you know such an iconic manager and Mick did have his problems early on but overall I think you know, he did well
2: Oh yeah, I mean I I can remember um like basically people saying, Oh, we're rubbish now, you know, like he we, we have this great team and Mick's making a, a balls of it and all that. I remember just thinking that that was outrageous because he'd obviously taken over a very aged side, a very old side, and he had to <laughs> systematically take it apart and build his own team, which, which of course he did. And um, we look at the we look at the average age, David,
0: wasn't it? Something like yeah, twenty nine plus or something. something twenty nine. Yeah, yeah twenty nine.
2: Yeah, he had like three players in the squad that were older than him, I think, you know, <laughs> yeah. which was, I mean, it just was what it was. But um, obviously when, when the pressure came about, not so much in 96, obviously you had the whole Roy Keane situation going on. I know that was before your time as um, as CEO, like when he didn't show up for Mick's testimonial. But obviously when 97, 98, I think the pressure was starting to come on Mick. We, we didn't get, we had a few bad results against Macedonia and we didn't get to the World Cup. And... It's kind of funny now because you're kind of getting parallels with Stephen Kenny now because obviously he has to rebuild the side and the structure and a whole lot. Um but yeah. h- how much was the pressure on Mick in those early days for, on, on you to to relieve Mick or or to or to whatever I mean what was it really bad or
1: yeah he was under he, w- he was under pressure definitely um, uh, and I like Mick and I got on well with him and uh, but there was a move inside it's funny There'd be a lot of people would, you know, would would sit around on a committee in the FEI and they'd wait to see what way the land was shifting. And very quickly, they could go from positive to negative. Um, but there was all that talk. And, of course, you know, the papers were, st- were uh, stoking it up as well. Uh, I, I Personally, I just felt kind of as a football person, I felt he deserved to get more time, that it was always going to be difficult for the reasons you've outlined.
2: Yeah, because I I remember, like, even when we didn't qualify for, you you could see the improvement all the time, I thought, with Ireland. You know, you you see the old side, 96, 97, and then I think it was the Euro 2000 campaign. There was a massive, massive improvement. You could see a style of football coming in. It was a more attacking, fluent style of football. You could see see what he was trying to do, and you could see the improvements on the pitch. And I always remember thinking people that wanted him out, I thought it was just crazy because... Bit like Steve McKenney, you can see the improvements, you can see what he's trying to do, but yeah, you know, you you can't please everyone, unfortunately, can you?
1: Uh, Ian Evans was mixed. They were a great nation, but made the mistake of uh, let Ian go with the under twenty ones and just come in on match day with the senior team, and it seemed to lose a bit of of impetus, a bit of momentum. So we we actually said to Mick, Mick, bring Ian back with you, and we got John Given the under twenty one and as soon as, uh, as Ian came back and that partnership got the attention to the contract it all suddenly came back right and uh, you know Mick's, the results were great Mick went from strength to strength uh, from there um, I, I don't think it was a coincidence you know
2: Yeah it actually would have been around the time I think early, 98 I think it was the, uh, the Argentina game I remember at home it was a real, we lost the game and I think it was the home debut of Robbie Keane, but you could sit, you could feel there was a shift there. There was a real shift change. You could feel like there was a bit of confidence coming about. And of course, you know, we had the two 0 win against Croatia. So yeah, it was uh, definitely. Yeah. He, he definitely got better. It got so much better as it went on. He learned the, the mis- mistakes were learned out of. He learned. I mean, you guys put him in the right direction. So now it was, uh, yeah. if we could have, if we could have that back again. That'd be lovely. <laughs>
1: Well, hopefully, I mean these things do go in cycles. Although this one is a fairly long cycle, but hopefully, I certainly I wish Stephen Kenny the best anyway.
2: Yeah, what what do you make, Bernard, of of the pressure on Steve McKenny? Do you, do you see parallels with with it yourself when when you were in charge and you had Mick?
1: I think there's more of a parallel with uh, the unfairness that Brian Kerr was dealt with, um, and we know some of the reasons for that. But, uh, you know, certainly I thought Brian was very, very poorly treated, uh, you know, given the results that he had and whatever. I think that's more of a comparison. It seems obvious to me, and I don't have in, any inside knowledge, so you can say that straight away. But it seems obvious to me that there are people who don't want Stephen Kenny, uh, you know, within within football. they don't. And I, I think that's very strange. I, I, I think... Um, he has shown that that manager and and can, and can do good stuff. I really think he should be given a chance. No, absolutely.
2: Um, also, also, what do you make, Bernard, of the whole video game thing that's going on? Obviously, Duff's come on and and you know he's he's made a few slight digs at a couple of players and you know coaches and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I mean, how would you have? dealt with that yourself if somebody came in and moaned about um an inspirational video i suppose uh deemed to be anti-english we don't know we haven't seen it so i have no idea but h- how how would you deal with that situation if you were in charge
1: well i would always have taken the view that uh, the manager looks after the team and looks after what goes on in the camp and it should stay within the camp yeah and uh i so i would support i would support the manager um 100 percent, and that came up quite you know a few times during mix during mix manager there's stuff that you know the legislators should get involved in but i think around the team around the squad and whatever um you leave it to the manager uh, and and support him as much as you can if he makes a, a bags of it then you might have to go to him and say time for a change or whatever, but in this particular instance, I think it was very badly handled. And I again, I don't know what went on yeah. uh, behind closed doors. And generally, you can take it that uh, the ten percent that you're hearing, there's another ninety percent that you're not hearing. You know?
2: Yeah, I know absolutely. Um, also, I mean, another thing at the moment, uh, just get your thoughts, Bernard, on obviously the whole thing that's going on with James McLean at the moment. He's um, seems to be building a lot of momentum in the campaign with obviously all the abuse he's been getting. How how do you feel yourself? I mean, we we had a discussion about it last night. We were a bit sort of kind of wondering like where the support had been from the powers to be over the last few years. Um, Do do you think he's had enough support
1: um, from the association or or do you think? Well, I I think the first thing is that uh, it's somewhat of an, an academic kind of conversation for a lot of people because you don't know what it's like to be victimized like that until you've experienced it. Now, from what I'm reading, it just seems to be horrific. Yeah. And if if people knew that it was that bad and it was happening because he was a footballer and because he was an Irish footballer, you know, I think he definitely merited uh, support. But maybe football, you know, he, he's an Irish person as well. So, you know why were other people not coming out you know fellow footballers or maybe you know the politicians or whatever I think terrific the whole thing and a a great sympathy sympathy for him and he he seems to have been through a lot and I imagine other people have been through it as well but maybe haven't haven't been as vocal
0: yeah because Noel Quinn came out with off the ball this morning and said that back in the 90s he suffered a lot of anti-Irish abuse and was told to go back to Ireland and and all this kind of thing, so you'd wonder, now that's just Quinn and that's a a former footballer but you'd wonder might that open the floodgates for for more Irish lads to maybe come out and and share their stories that they maybe just brushed under the carpet, you know, it'd be interesting to see
2: Yeah, I mean it seems to be I mean, what what you say there, I do agree with the um with, with the players. You know, it doesn't seem to have had a lot of support from the other players. Maybe they don't want it on their doorstep or whatever. It kind of it kind of seems to be a bit more fashionable to to sort of come out about it now for whatever reason. There's a groundswell. Uh, we were talking about um, we were doing a podcast last night about it, and you know, uh, Nick read out a, a quote from Neil Lennon about you know we got to support the player and um over the weekend and as so i said to nick it's like well where's neil lennon been for the last 10 years <laughs> you know like why why now this has been going on for you know for the best part of a decade it just seems i don't know i mean maybe it's a bit more fashionable now or or maybe people have realized there's a moment of clarity of, you know it seems like a strange one indeed um how do you reckon we're going to do for the um for the
1: forthcoming forecom- campaign uh under stephen kenny well, look. I hope we do well. You know, I think it's going to be a big challenge. Um, you know, with with the players, I think the, the the team probably has a bit of development still to do, and I just hope that uh, I hope all the players and Stephen stand up to the pressure. And I'm sure, I'm sure Stephen will leave them lead them well. Um, so, be a bit apprehensive, to be honest, but um, I hope we do well. Fantastic. I mean, really. Really, really enjoyed talking about
2: Aircon Park. Like it was, um, I know it's okay. probably, it's probably a, uh, a
0: <laughs>
2: touchy one. <laughs> one. But no, no, that, well, like, uh, Burnham, thank you so much. Yeah. I'm, I really appreciate it. Thank you no, for, for, for following Nansen Road as well, by the way. I do appreciate that.
1: Not at all. Um, Pleasure anyway. You know, as I say, it's not something that keeps me awake these nights anyway. but
0: Yeah. Massive thank you, Bernard, because we know you're a busy man with Basketball Ireland. So we really appreciate you. Taking a bit of time out today to chat to us, so that is all we have time for today. So again, a big thank you to Burner for talking to us about Aircon Park and his time with the FAI. We'll be back on Monday with part two of the Mick McCarthy era. So until then, have a lovely weekend and come on, you boys in green.